Um, And as we turn to to God's word again today, isn't it good to be reminded through this series that we've been studying in Joshua that God's promises are unbreakable? Uh, In a week of great difficulty for some of us within the church family, um, what great comfort it is to know that God's words never fail. Uh, And therefore, the promise of his presence in times of sorrow, the promise of his hope in the midst of grief, the promise of eternal life in the midst of earthly loss, those promises never fail. And this is good news. And so as we turn to God's word this morning, we we once again hear this resounding theme. It's like a gong that has been ringing out throughout the whole of our studies in Joshua. And again, we see it, the faithfulness of God to his word. And so last week, actually, we ended, or sorry, two weeks ago, we ended uh, Joshua 21 with the words from verse 45, not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. And that's the constant refrain as the book now comes to an end. Chapters 23, sorry, 22, 23, and 24 just enhance and, and seek to echo that theme throughout. And so through in chapter 23 today, we're going to see, you know, in verse 14, you know with all your heart and soul, this is Joshua speaking to the people, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises of the Lord your God gave you has failed every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. And so again, this gong just keeps beating and resounding. God's words never fail. His promises are unbreakable. And so I pray for all of us as we come towards the end of this series and the end of our time in the book of Joshua for now, uh, I pray that we would be assured once more of the unbreakable promises of God and his word. Uh, And not just that we know that in our heads, but then our lives would show that we know that in our heads, that we know it in our heads, we trust it in our hearts and our hands and our lives and display, I am living on the basis of what I know to be true in God's word. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. And we're going to try to take chapter 22 and 23, and we're going to see what it now means to live in the light of this promise. That's really the theme for this morning, living in the light of the promise. And so we are going to look at chapter 22 and 23. Uh, That will leave chapter 24. Um, At present, the plan is not to do that next week. Next week starts December, which means Advent. And so we are going to turn our focus to preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. What that does mean is then chapter 24 of Joshua will be our text for New Year's Eve, I trust. Uh, And so there we will, uh, what a wonderful way to send us into a new year by declaring Choose, therefore, who you will serve. Uh, and so that's, that's the plan. It may all change, but it, it's in recording now, so it can't change. But that, that's the plan at the minute. But as we finish chapters 22, 23, 24, th- there's a sense of repetition in those three chapters. Uh, there's actually a fairly similar pattern, loosely so, but there's a general broad pattern in, in all three of these chapters. And each chapter follows this kind of setting, this kind of theme, not exclusively, not definitely, but uh, you can see elements of it throughout each chapter. So each chapter begins with a summons. Joshua summons a group of people together. Then he commands faithfulness, either faithfulness of the people or the faithfulness of God. Then he explains what action needs to be taken from the people on the basis of the faithfulness that's been commended. But there's, that comes with a warning, a warning that if you do not do this, then there, there will be consequences. Uh, and the, finally, then a response is given that, to all that has taken place. And so we're going to walk our way through that pattern in both chapters 22 and 23 this morning. 
Uh, We'll not read all the text, uh, but I would really encourage you to do so. Hopefully we'll have time later on in life groups to unpack some of these this text uh, in a little bit more depth. So please do join us this evening. But chapter, 20, chapter 22 begins with the summons. Let's, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 22 of Joshua. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So here we have the summons. He gathers these two and a half tribes. And we've heard a lot about these two and a half tribes throughout the book. If you can remember all the way back to the start, that's because these two and a half tribes agreed with Moses under the guidance of God that they would take their land on the eastern side of the Jordan. And that was done on the prerequisite that they would go with the people into the land west of the Jordan, fight alongside their countrymen, and then when all the land was conquered, they would then be allowed to return home. And so now, as this chapter unfolds, we see these tribes being sent home. In fact, the, the title of your, uh, in your text may well say something like the eastern tribes return home. And so they're now going back to settle in their land, but they can go because they have fulfilled what their job was. And this is what we see. This is the faithfulness that's commended. In chapter 22, Joshua is now going to commend the faithfulness of these two and a half tribes. Let's read verses two and three as Joshua speaks to them. You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. And so it's clear that that these two and a half tribes have have sacrificially and, and with great dedication served the Lord by serving the other tribes. And this faithfulness to what they promised is commended now by Joshua. And this was no small undertaking. These two and a half tribes put themselves at the front line of the military advance because they knew the promise that they had to keep. And it's a great, it's a great thing to be said of them, isn't it? What, what a message to ring out um, as we think about what we would like to, the message of our lives to say. Goodness, if, if, if I could get anywhere near what this, these tribes are commended for, look at the end of verse 3, that you have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. <laughs> Talk about faithful living in the light of the promise. And so these folks, just like Caleb, as we saw last week, as Leslie opened Joshua 14 with us, these folks are faithfully following God. They are following him wholeheartedly. And so Joshua commends their faithfulness. And then he goes on to show what action they must take. And so we see this in verses 4 to 9. We're just going to read verses 4 and 5 for now. So they've carried out all the mission that the Lord your God has given you. And then verse 4, now that the Lord your God has given them rest, that's, that's them being the western tribes. Now the Lord has given them rest as he promised. Return to your homes in the land the Lord, sorry, the land the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so these tribes are going to be returning home with blessing. Uh, And we're reminded in verse 9 that that they are returning home as the Lord commanded. This was not a, a good strategy that Moses or Joshua thought of. No, this was all under the Lord's doing. But did you catch that emphasis that Joshua is sending them back with? Verse 5, I think, carries five main characteristics that he wants them to carry with them as they head to faithfully live in the light of the promise. And verse 5, if we read it slowly, 
But be very careful to keep the commandment of the Lord that Moses gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your might. And so they are to keep, be very careful to keep the command. And what does it mean to keep the command? What will that actually look like? Well, then these things are laid out before us. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and soul. And we'll come back and we'll unpack a lot of this in a minute because we see this kind of emphasis again in chapter 23. But for now, let's just appreciate that as these tribes go in response to the faithfulness that they have shown because of the faithfulness of their God, they are to go and do something. Their life is to be marked by something. There's to be intentional choices made as they continue to follow God on the eastern side of the Jordan. And so there's action to take. But there is, as we've said, there is a warning. And perhaps we get the first hint of that warning already in verse 5. As Joshua sends them off, he says, But be very careful to keep the command and the law. And you can sense the reality that keeping the commandment and the law will not be an easy thing for these tribes to do. It may not even be the instinctive thing that they choose to do. This is going to have to be some definitive choices made. This will become clear as we look through chapters 23 and again in chapters 24. But even we know as we look at our lives, as we seek to follow God, those who trust in him today, we know that the natural drift of our heart is away from him. And so we, we, we are led into compromise by ourselves and by the world around us. And so Joshua warns the people, but be very careful. The ESV has only be careful to obey. There's a real impetus here, a real intentionality here, a concerted decision to live God's way. And this is expanded through the rest of the chapter. We'll not take time to read the chapter, but essentially the tribes go home. And on their way home, just before they cross from the western to the eastern side of the Jordan, they build what verse 10 says is an imposing altar there. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a replica or certainly an allusion to the altar that the western tribes have. And the western tribes hear about this and they freak out. They jump to all the wrong conclusions that, hang on, these guys are leaving and they're turning their backs on God. If you look at it in verse 16 and 17, we see the, the fear that the western tribes have. And so verse 16 and 17 the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us up to this very day? We've not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though the plague fell on the community. And now you are turning away from the Lord. You can see that the Western tribes have heard, maybe even some of them have seen this imposing altar. And they've jumped to the conclusion that the Eastern tribes are already starting to turn their backs on God. And so there's a warning. Hang on. It is possible to do that. It is possible to, to waver in our faithfulness to God. But the Western tribes, I suppose, are right in the terms that they come and say, please don't do this. Remain faithful. Stay strong. Remember what Joshua has literally just said before you left the camp. Be very careful to obey the Lord. And so the Western tribes come, yes, we're told they come ready for war. I mean, this is an extreme reaction, but it's because of the fear they have, not only of the eastern tribes wavering in their faithfulness, but the fear of the wrath of God coming upon their, this potential sin. They even evoke, don't you remember Achan and what happened with one man's sin and how that was then corporately uh, had an impact on all of us. And so there's a, there's a warning here that we need to remain faithful. 
And we need to actively choose to remain faithful. Now, as it transpires, the eastern tribes had no intention of wavering in their faithfulness to God. Indeed, as they explain in verses 24 down to verse 27, um, there's almost a, a second warning that comes in their explanation. Essentially, what they've said is, we have built this altar so that future generations of the western tribes don't look at us on the other side of the Jordan and say, you're not really part of God's people. The Jordan is the boundary, and so you aren't part of us anymore. And so the eastern tribes have built this altar to show the unity that the tribes share, that they are not united by geography, they're united by the God that they worship, the God who has given them the geography. And so it was actually to try to protect the unity of the people. And here we have a second warning for us, that as we seek to follow God faithfully, we must protect the unity of his people. And, and as the Western tribes show here, although they show it wrongly because it's not, the, it's not what the Eastern tribes are doing, the Western tribes are so keen to protect that unity that they come quickly and plead with the Eastern tribes, don't fall away, don't turn in rebellion. Now, the Eastern tribes weren't doing that, but their, the Western tribe motivation is good, isn't it? We need to stay together, stay with the Lord. The Lord is the good way to walk. And so the unity of God's people needs to, be protect, needs to be protected too. And so in this encounter, we see the two warnings to maintain an individual and collective holiness together, follow God wholeheartedly, obey his commands, walk in his ways, and then secondly, protect the unity of God's people. Uh, once the Western tribes hear all this, the response is joy. Uh, we're told in verse 30 that they are pleased with what they heard. That those Western tribes then go back and share that news with the rest of the community. And in verse 33, we see that they were glad to hear that report. They praised God. And so there was, there was gladness at the end of this. The response to the faithfulness of the tribes was good. And so we see the summons. We see the faithfulness commended. We see the action that was to be explained, the warning that's given and the response to it all. And chapter 23 then follows that similar pattern. But what I would love to do is, because I think chapter 23 highlights this more, is to think about the action that's required of God's people, the response to the faithfulness that we see displayed. In other words, what does it mean to live in the light of the promise? Chapter 23 opens, and a significant amount of time has passed. We see this in verse 1. We'll read verse 1 and 2 in a second, which gives us both the summons and explains the faithfulness. But a a significant amount of time has passed. Let's read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 23. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. So here we see Joshua given that summons. So he summons all the people. Yes, but there's an emphasis here on the leadership too. And so they are summoned. Joshua now is a very old man. We're told that a few times through the big army. It's a bit unfair on poor old Joshua. Even the Lord said to him at one stage, you're very old. We, we get it. Joshua is now a very old man. But in that state, he knows his time on this earth is coming to an end. And he wants to impart something to the people before he goes. And so there's a, an important message here that's going to come at an important and a significant time of transition. And that message that Joshua wants to give them is explained to us in verse 3 to 5. And it is a message commending the faithfulness again. But this time, it's the faithfulness of God. Joshua, now a very old man, has a message to share. Verse 3. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. 
Remember how I have allotted an inheritance for your tribes, all the land of the nations that remain, the nations that I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. And so this is a celebration of God's faithfulness. The faithfulness of God has been on display throughout this whole book. But we must remember, as verse 1 has told us, a long time has now passed. And so perhaps it is good to be reminded of what God has done in the future, or sorry, in the past, especially as we move further from that past, we sometimes need to be reminded of it. We all know just how, how fickle our own minds can be, and therefore how valuable the reminders are that God gives us of his past faithfulness, which fuels our, our obedience in the present and our hope for the future. That's one of the reasons why we gather like this weekly to sing great truths, to hear his word, to share in his meal. We remember his faithfulness. And look at what Joshua reminds the people of, what the Lord has done. In verse 3, you've seen for yourself everything the Lord has done to all these nations. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And then this faithful God will continue as they move into their home. In verse 5, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you. You will take possession of the land as he has promised. And so once again, the faithfulness of God is just that gong just keeps getting banged and banged and banged. God is the main actor here. He has promised in generations in the past. He is fulfilling that now. And anything that they don't yet see, they can be sure he will fulfill in the future because he is faithful. So Joshua summoned the people. He's explained and commended and reminded them of the faithfulness of God. And so here, their action to be taken on the basis of the promise. Verse 6. Be very strong. Be, very, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their God or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And then he commends God's faithfulness again in verses 9 and 10 before concluding in verse 11. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. And when we read it together, these two chapters together, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? That we love, we walk, we keep, we hold fast, we serve. And so I think if, as we unpack this a little bit more, there's four key themes that when we combine these two chapters together and the action that is called of God's people in response to his faithfulness, I think we see at least these four things. Firstly, that we love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. And doesn't this speak to us about the joy of the relationship that we're welcomed into? And I think we need to keep this front and center, that we are in relationship with the Almighty God. He is not a dictator making demands unfairly on us. No, he is our Heavenly Father who knows the best way to live and therefore invites us into the joyful life of, of obedience to him. Now, as we'll see, he is not a God that we can take lightly. But we do so as his children. And if we are to love the Lord your God, well, well how, how are we to do that? Well, if we think of all of our earthly relationships, how do we nurture love and affection with people? Well, it's time, it's effort, it's intentional choices, 
It's forsaking some things for the joy of the other, the better. And so the same thing is true in our walk with God. And it's teaching that we see throughout scripture. That to love the Lord your God means investing in relationship with him. Which is time, effort, joy. Choosing him over others. We love the Lord your God. Secondly, we obey his word or we keep his commands. Chapter 22, verse 5 had this as walk in obedience. Chapter 23, verse 6 puts it as without turning to the right or to the left. The idea is that obeying God is an active thing. We walk in obedience. As we walk, we don't turn to the right or to the left. The point is we don't stand still. We move as God leads us. God's people are to walk. They're to move in line with his word. And therefore, this is an encouragement for us to know his word in order that he may guide us through it. I mean, how else will we know if we're turning to the right or to the left if we don't know what straight is? And so we must know his word and allow him to to keep us in line with it. We walk in obedience. We keep his commands. We obey what he teaches. Thirdly, we hold fast to the Lord. Um, one of the things that's been made clear, we've mentioned it already this morning, is that, is that our hearts and the hearts of the people in the book of Joshua is, is the same. Our hearts are prone to wander. Don't we sing that often? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here, Joshua is compelling the people to hold fast. We saw it in chapter 22 and in chapter 23. Hold fast. The ESV actually renders that cling to the Lord. And I think that maybe sounds a little bit Uh, Like there's an element of desperation there, which some of us may see negatively. I think that's exactly the point. We cling. We cling to the Lord because we know him to be the best. We know him to be the source of true joy, of hope, of salvation. And we know that the current seeking to pull us from him is strong. So we don't just hold lightly. We cling. We hold fast to the Lord. We know that his goodness and his protection is the way that we should live. And so we don't settle for anything less. That lesser stuff that comes along to, to, to tempt us and compromises, yes, it might seem like it offers fulfillment and joy and satisfaction, but oh, how fleeting it is when we compare it to the one to whom we cling. The never-ending source of joy and fulfillment because he alone is true. Therefore, cling. We love the Lord your God, obey his word, hold fast, and then we serve him. And it's important that we remember this because Um, In thinking about loving the Lord, even holding fast, we could wrongly assume that that means, okay, we've just got to hunker down. We've got to draw in, retreat from the world and live in our own little bubble. Of course, we must protect our time with the Lord, but we serve him in his world as we do so. See, God calls us to walk faithfully with him. Yes, absolutely. To love him wholeheartedly. Yes, to hold fast to him unswervingly. But we do that as we serve. Joshua 22, verse 5. To love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, hold fast to him, serve him with all your heart. It sounds a little bit like uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. I think there's definite echoes there. This prayer that becomes known as the Shema that is found in, in Deuteronomy 6 includes this line in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is the answer Jesus gives whenever a lawyer questions him, which is the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus adds, and with all your mind. The idea is loving God takes all that we have. 
And so it is not, loving God is not confined to a particular section of our week or a particular aspect of how we spend our time or a particular group of people who we hang out with once a week on a Sunday morning. Loving the Lord your God fills our whole life. And so we serve him everywhere we are. And as we serve, we love the Lord your God. We hold fast to his teaching. We keep in his ways. We don't swerve to the right or to the left. And so we walk in obedience to him. We love him. We hold fast to him. And we serve him. And I can say we because these are characteristics of God's people throughout all time. Yes, of course, they are true for the Israelites here in Joshua. But as we see them so starkly this morning, we may feel challenged by realizing the progress that we have yet to make. Notice how positively I tried to put that. The progress we've yet to make when we see, hang on, loving the Lord your God, keeping his ways, holding fast to him, serving him. I feel like I have so much room to grow in those areas. Great. Do that. Allow his spirit to work in your life, to grow your love for the Lord. Spend time with him. Invest in your walk with him. Know his word so that you may walk in line with it. Hold fast as the currents of our world seek to shake us and buffet us from every side. Now we we recognize that yes, there is a, a conviction here of things that we may have to leave down so that we can invest our time in the way that the Lord would like us. But also, can we please see the invitation that God is making to us here? This is the life that he wants us to live. Life with him. Life in all its fullness, we're told. And it's his spirit who gives us the power, who enables us to that source of holy living. It's not simply by our own effort. It's not just by trying harder. No, no, no. His spirit enables And he leads as we submit to him. And so this is the call that God makes to those of us who who seek to follow him, to live this holy life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so let's step into it. Not as some ethereal weird thing for the super holy. Hebrews 12 says, let's run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles and fix our eyes on Jesus. So it seems to me that's the action that's required based on the faithfulness of God. The action that's required is just like Caleb, wholehearted following of the Lord. As we finish chapter 23, we recognize the warning that is issued here. Uh, We see it in verses 12 onwards. And essentially it's a message once again to call the people to holiness. And holiness will will not be possible if they allow themselves to be so intertwined with the world that they inhabit that they lose all sense of distinctiveness. See, God's people are to be recognizable by their devotion to him, by living his way. Uh, And the temptations to compromise and be molded into the likeness of the culture around us are strong. Yes, and it was so for the Israelites too. But if we hear that call to action that we just talked about, then our love for God, our desire to obey him, our holding fast to him, our service of him, all of that should trump any temptation to compromise that comes our way. It will certainly trump any sense that the grass is greener anywhere but the walk of God. And so that's the warning to us, to live holy, living. And it's a stark warning that God gives to his people. 
And the response then commanded at the end of verse 23 is an encouragement once again to allow the assurance of God's promises to be the foundation of the lives that we live for him. And so in verse 23, verse 14, that verse that we mentioned earlier on, Joshua speaking to the folks says, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And so again, Joshua draws their hearts and their minds back to the reality. God's words are true. Therefore, live in the light of them. But the chapter ends actually by Joshua explaining that it's not just the promises of blessing and provision and goodness as we perceive goodness. It's not just those promises that are true. We also must recognize that the promise that God will bring judgment is also true. And therefore, we need to live in the light of that. It's a, it's a, call, to not, it's a call to appreciate the holiness of God and never to equate his grace and his patience with weakness and passivity on his part. He is holy. And he is dangerously holy for those who carry sin. And so this is a stark warning. But the response is still true. His words remain unbreakable. Therefore, this is good news that Yahweh will punish sin. It is good news for us. We, we need justice. We all long for justice. Will we serve and worship the holy and just and righteous God? Sin cannot go unpunished. And so he is faithful to his promise to bring that about. Now, of course, that, that is not good news for those who, who are currently facing that judgment, carrying their own sin. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were by nature all deserving of wrath. That, that, that is our stance without any intervention from the Father. Therefore, if there's anyone here who's still liable to pay the penalty of sin for themselves, please hear the seriousness of that. And at one and the same time, hear the joy of the promise of salvation. That we were all by nature deserving of wrath. You know how much I love Ephesians 2. But, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The promise of judgment is right and true and is coming. The promise of grace is just and right and true and coming. So hear the life that God is calling us to. Hear the life, the, the offer, the invitation to forgiveness. The way he has fully satisfied his wrath against sin. And he did so by sending Jesus. That is why love came down at Christmas. That is why we're inviting folks to come behold him as we celebrate Advent. The one in the manger is the savior of the world. As John the Baptist describes him in John 1. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so come. Come to him. Recognize that his promise his promises, every single one of them, not one fails. And so he will come to judge the world. He will come to render judgment on sin. And he has offered forgiveness for those who trust fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we come to celebrate as we gather around this table. As we'll sing in a, in a moment, salvation is possible, sin is defeated, eternal life is secure, not because of me, but yet not through I, but through Christ in me. Christ is the only one who gives us a right to stand before this holy God and not be consumed. Christ came to take the penalty of sin. 
He came to take that in place of sinners. That's why we can know the promise of God's forgiveness, know the promise of his welcome. And therefore, we can also know that not one of his promises fail. So for those of us who have bowed the knee to Jesus, who have surrendered our lives to him, he grants us righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Therefore, approach the throne of grace with confidence and live the life in the light of the promise to all obedience to him. Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Hold fast and serve him with everything we have and in everywhere he places us. This is the call to live in the light of obedience, to live in the light of the promise. And may we hear that call and may we be those who respond to that call. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you that we know the truth, that your promises are unbreakable, that there are none of your words that fail. And so I pray that you would help us to know the the gift of your spirit, which you have given to those who believe in you, who trust in you, that therefore we can know this life is not a theoretical life for others to live. This is the life that you call us to live and therefore empower us to live. And so may you help us as we seek to love you more, as we seek to obey your commands and walk in your ways, as we seek to hold fast to you in a world which seeks to pull us away. And Father, may we serve you for the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom. Thank you, Father, that you promise help. You have promised a secure future for those who trust in you. And so we can live this life now with boldness, with faithfulness, with grace and sincerity, because we know that you are with us. And Lord, we do pray for those that we know and love who don't know you yet as their Lord and Savior. Father, would you help us to graciously, winsomely, wisely, truthfully share your wonderful news of salvation with them. Lord, we pray for any here this morning who need to hear that. Father, may they have the the, the courage to to speak to the person who brought them or, um, Lord, to bow the knee before you. Help us, God, as we uh, enter into this Christmas season, Lord, that we would not be carried away with the with the festivities of it in a, in a negative sense, but Father, we would celebrate the one in the manger. God with us, Emmanuel. What a wonder this is for us and help us to grasp that wonder afresh this season. Help us to share that wonder with greater boldness. And Lord, we pray that all of this, all of this would be for the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom. And it is in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.